0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Significant Watches episode 47. Let us be the last, hopefully the last to wish you a happy 2024. I know it's been a while since we had an episode. It's been almost a month probably, but we've got excuses. We've got sicknesses, we've got holidays. Um I'm sure Gabe was busy buying watches when he was in Switzerland, but we've got a lot to catch up on. A lot to catch up on, folks. But first of all, we've got to introduce the Palm Beach wing of the Significant Watches crew. Uh You already know who that is. Wind Vintage HQ. Charlie Dunn, how are we doing?
1: Good. Hey, how are you? Uh, I said Charlie, not Eric. Oh, sorry. Doing well. How are you doing?
2: Oh,
0: thank you so much. And the gentleman dealer himself. The million dollar dealer himself, I should say. Eric Wind, how are you doing?
2: Good, but we miss you in Florida, Tony.
0: Uh, We miss you horribly. Every day away from South Florida is one day too many for me. Yes. Gabriel Benador, fresh off a, uh, a pilgrimage to Geneva, the home of
3: watchmaking, and the home of Gabriel, I should say. Yeah. Um, how are you doing? i doing well. It was great. I got to see a couple of uh, orological friends, went to see Roman Gauthier in his workshop, and so that was that was pretty, pretty fun. Um, I'm going back actually for two weeks in February again, so hopefully I'll make uh, a couple of more pit stops on the way but doing well thank you oh uh, we'd love to hear it uh thanks
0: for the updates from, from on the ground gabe uh you know today we've got a few things on the agenda charlie and i were were on a panel at the miami beach antique show eric had a variety of ailments uh he couldn't even get out of bed at the time so so charlie and some other family pulled in uh you know i've gotten tons of tons of dms tons of messages charlie uh is the podcast or is the is the panel online? Is there anywhere I can watch the recording watch the stream? Unfortunately, it was only available for people in person uh, I, I'm told more than a hundred people were there, so it was an amazing turnout. Uh, Jeff Hess, the head of Sotheby's Watches for the Americas was there and then Charlie Dunn filled in as as Eric was unable to and then Sasha Davidoff was there as well, who filled in after Eric and then Adam Golden both got sick and could not make the uh the panel but charlie you know it was a good panel i i covered a few over overarching thoughts in my photo report or recap from the show that i published on on com. anything else you want to add from the panel besides of course a hearty thank you to everyone who attended
1: no i think it was a fun time um right after the panel i got bombarded with about five or six people that came over and were excited to talk watches with me you know that's kind of a always a rewarding uh, and and uh refreshing experience you know people get excited about the vintage discussion and it's um it's really cool to meet people that you know you you only get to encounter once a season or sometimes you only talk to them online so i i enjoyed it and then um you know saw some friends in the building which is always special um one thing that i thought was kind of funny is like you know the the conversation on the panel was about some of the uh the trends or we had a little bit of a fun segment that um I recommended to Tony was buy, hold, sell, even though it was kind of a little bit of a cheesy uh, cheesy one. But it was, uh, it was fun. I thought it was a good discussion. And then um, one person in the audience had a very funny observation. They said that it looked as though Sasha, myself, and Jeff all couldn't be any more uncomfortable next to each other. So just so everyone knows, uh, we don't hate each other and enjoy the company of Tony. But it was a funny observation, they said wow, you guys really do not look happy to be up there with each other. <laughs> I just thought that was very funny. It was a good time, in all honesty.
0: Man, I hope I'm not the one that contributed to any uncomfortableness with uh, any mediocre moderating, but I'll assume not. You know, Charlie, one of the last questions I asked on the panel is a question that I thought we could kick off today's discussion with, which was about um, trends. So I asked uh, a two-parter, you could have answered one, and I think everyone chose the positive end, which was like predicting a trend for 2024. But the other side of that was a trend that we would like to see sort of stop or end in 2024. So I'm wondering if that's something we could talk about for just a minute. I think, uh, you know, maybe I'll kick it off here for just a moment because I think a trend that sort of is probably reaching its crest right now is... uh, you know, the trend towards quote unquote, smaller or dressier watches. I'm pretty sure every trend report I've read from GQ to Rob report, et cetera, has mentioned that as, as a trend, uh, highlighted by, of course, like the trend towards vintage Cartier. Um, so I think that has certainly crested as well as people go on to other brands, but you know, I, I, I'm curious to see what happens with that throughout the rest of the year you know literally just yesterday i was i had a call with the uh chief product officer at uh at hublo which is a not a, not a huge name drop but you know it's it's something i did and even the chief product officer of hublo is telling me that they are thinking about how to make their watches smaller the way they did in the 80s yeah. so when even hublot is thinking about it i think we've kind of reached the pinnacle of a trend and i think people are going to be searching for uh Sort of the next thing,
1: the next thing throughout twenty twenty four uh what say you, Mr. Dunn and Mr Wind? I think it's um it's interesting, you know the trends are pretty pretty often spoken about, whether it's people who are buying um you know the smaller watches, that's obviously a common one. My answer on the panel was that for watches that are smaller and also- also you know brands like the Cartier's and stuff like that, while they're really cool watches for me personally, I'm finding myself more happy with the -the run-of-the-mill standard rolex uh sports watch from the 1960s just because the quality and the you know the durability of these watches tend to be more favorable if you're wearing them on a day-to-day basis and just like i said earlier it's like you know living in florida it's nice to have something that can be made water resistant from a competent watchmaker the Timepieces that are, you know, a little bit more in in trend with the smaller dimension Cartiers and and Piagets and stuff like that. Although you see a lot of people talking about them and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of interest and and it's something that's kind of a a breath of fresh air. I find that the, standard, more obvious watches are things that more people are interested in purchasing and having for longer periods of time. Not the most popular and uh, exciting answer, but it's like what you said in your report of the event, you know, every single person was asking you how much for your Explorer, they weren't asking you how much for a Cartier tank or whatever. It's just, it just so happens people want to own these watches, they want to wear them. Um, It's obvious, but it's very fun. As far as like, you know, the trends also, Eric and I were talking about this the other day with the stone dials. I think there's interesting stuff out there from the likes of Piaget. But when you get into Rolex stone dials, it's 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 difficult because in a lot of cases, these watches are not necessarily easy at a retail level or, or even a collectible le- level because they're so prone to having cracks or Flaws in the dials, and people who are buying these watches really want something that's in outstanding condition. I mean, it's it's something. There's something to be said when you see dealers going on PSAs and in, in um, social media chats publicly saying, "Look out for these fake dials that are coming out of Vietnam and et cetera." I mean, I've never seen any you know dealers really warn the community in a sense like that. Um, so these watches are obviously highly faked. There's huge premiums attached to them. Eric has said in the past, you know, the provenance of the watches. Oftentimes these stone dials were sold after the fact. It's not a, it's not common that you see a stone dial that is mm-hmm. born in a watch. Um so there's things to be thought about with that. If that's your prerogative to own watches that are more uh integrity in terms of the the provenance of the watch, that's you know, a factor to consider. If you want to have something that just looks cool, that's another you can weigh and decide yourself. But um yeah, I mean There's there's a lot. I think the trends to be kind of more honest about it, the trends that I'd like to see is the less fly by night dealers. I mean, it's just one of those things you see a lot of bad things when you're in the business and and dealing directly with collectors where they end up getting really hurt by people that obviously are, you know, presenting themselves in one way, but then they also don't back their product. If you end up raising a concern or finding out something that's different about the watch in terms of the originality. And, uh, you know, there's all types of bad behavior. So um, you see a lot of people enter the space. A lot of times they don't even share their name publicly. Sometimes it's fake names. It's uh, just uh, one of those things. So, you know, it's, uh, it's tough, but the truth is ugly. And uh, I'm sure that I've have a lot of friends over saying that after this.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing is like the commercial reality. I was just thinking about this and, you know, all of a sudden you wake up one day and people are are paying almost $20,000 for like a standard Cartier Tank normal or whatever from the seventies. And it's like a cool watch or whatever, um, you know, riding off the back of, of Cartier re-releasing it last year. But if you look around, you can get a hell of a 1016 for $20,000. You can get some decent Calatravas for $20,000. And people get so in the mindset of of chasing a specific brand or a specific trend And then they forget to like look up and do the sort of relative relative value calculation of of what you can get for comparable money from another brand. And I think once people sort of uh, pull their head out from the sand as to like, this is the trend I need to to jump on or whatever and take a moment to to take a breath, they realize that they can get a lot more watch for for a similar amount of money from other brands.
1: Yeah, I also think that, you know, if you are someone who is a watch collector and you have people that are. Telling you yes to every single purchase that you're interested in making when you throw it out there to people. That's something to consider because, you know, e- even with my purchasing habits, I have Eric tell me, you know, three or four times in a row, dude, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that when there's a watch that's excellent and I'm really passionate about coming in. And the reality is, you have to have people that are going to tell you, dude, you have. You know, you have three watches that are similar to that. Do you really want to be a completist collector? Some people will prove you wrong and then they want, you know, seven Hoyers, uh, seven Hoyer Carreras because they're that passionate about them. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, if you know yourself or you know your client, that's important to be respectful of. But also, you know, having people that will tell you you're never going to wear that watch, I think, is equally as important because it's pretty quick where people end up amassing 20, 30 watches in a short time frame. And then they realize that they're not wearing the watches. So factoring in wearability and what you're going to be doing with the watches, whether you're playing with them in the sense like you have a you know additional hobbies like photography or writing, that's something that I think is fulfilling, and you can have watches and enjoy them. But obviously, wearing the watches is is critical in terms of. In terms of collecting, I think that, you know, you want to have watches that are diverse in some capacity, but you also want to have stuff that you're actually going to appreciate and enjoy and have kind of a sentimental attachment to instead of just conspicuous consumption and buying as, as fast as you can. So it's um, it's an interesting one. The trend is, uh, is more so looking for the next watch of value. Uh, there's certainly tremendous value in, you know, your timepieces like JLC, uh, vintage Piaget, um, Hoyer, even, you know, Submariners. But, you know, what are you going to be wearing, I think, is the focus. Eric, you had an interesting um, comment you've been saying all week is people are looking for reasons to um,
2: to buy in the past. Go for yes. it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. But the market has changed, obviously, over the last two years from the insanity of uh, early 2022 to the early 2024, a little more muted, but I think the big shift in buying habits is that people are looking for an excuse not to buy something. So they might say, oh, the case is polished, or it's not full set, or it's slightly not a, as attractive as I would like. Two years ago, they would say, yes, they're they, if it's somewhat, they like 80 to 90% of it, they might buy it. Now it's like if it's not ninety-eight, ninety-nine or a hundred percent of exactly what they're looking for, they say no. Um, so that's what I always tell people, like, you know, when you're particularly like as a dealer, I need to buy really, really perfect condition stuff, or it needs to be super cheap. Even yeah. modern needs to be super cheap because people are looking for an excuse not to buy something on the price side. It's just that if it's not the cheapest, they're not really that interested. It's not rocket science to sell modern watches. You just have to have the the cheapest example. And I do think, although 95% of modern buyers don't really care about the condition, I've got a kind of a funny story related to that. There are people, more and more modern buyers who want something that is, uh, original unpolished yeah. condition. So I had a friend of a friend who, uh, a friend of our friend of the podcast, Jafari one, Jeff Binstock, an old business associate and friend of his was looking for a 5712. Mm-hmm. So Jeff asked if I could help try to find a 5712 slash one a in steel in December. And I was looking on the WhatsApp groups where there's a lot of dealer-to-dealer stuff. We looked on Chrono24, et cetera. And we looked at, and then he went down, started, con- we contacted some some dealers on 47th Street. It's funny because the same watch would be listed by like three or four different dealers. So you'd go to one dealer and they'd go like grab the watch from another dealer upstairs and then bring it down. And it's like, I just saw that watch like an hour ago, et cetera. So it's the same watch being listed over and over again. But even watches that were July, August, 2023 were polished. And that's particularly evident on Nautiluses because the four corners of the bezel have these little creases that are kind of points and as soon as you polish they get either gone completely or very faint so every single watch on 47th street 5712s even though it's just a few months old was polished and if you talk to modern watch dealers, they polish every single watch that comes in the door, even if it's like essentially new old stock. If there's this, and I, there was recently, we had a client who had a Panda Steel Daytona. He was kind of looking to sell to some modern dealer, trade in towards something else, uh, you know the one one six five hundred LN previous model, and then he said okay. Then he thought a week later and wanted to get it back, and during that week. The modern dealer polished it, sold it to another modern dealer who polished it without even looking at it as a matter of course when it came in. So the watch was polished twice within one week. You know, the lugs were too thick lugs. It was horrible. So that, I mean, we finally found a 5712. It was very expensive. That was one month old. Uh, and that one, thank God, had not been polished. It was the only one left, really. <laughs> that was a fifty-seven twelve slash one day. That was unpolished. After looking at like fifteen of them, uh, so yeah. Anyways, it's it's really crazy. People don't realize how nuts it is. I didn't even realize how nuts it is because it's not typically something I'm searching out. But it's really crazy. Another thing with another thing with the modern collectors, they seem
1: to be getting more astute to this whole situation as well. Because in the last two months. I've had numerous people asking me where the watch is located. Obviously they might not be familiar with like the fact that every single one of our wrist shots is taken on Eric's wrist, but it's just funny. They, they're kind of in the same, uh, they're, they're of the same opinion that they're being offered the same watch by five different people. And then finally they get to the point where I don't want to deal with the nonsense. I want to know that you have the watch. Are you shipping it to me? If I send you wire within a day, or do I have to wait six weeks and like,
2: it's, it's, cra- it's getting it, crazy. It was, it was even crazier when I started contacting some of the dealers in Asia about 5712s. There was it was clear it was the same watch being offered around by eight to ten different dealers. And uh, Jeff would contact them or I would contact some. And one time it was, well, we will all get you the watch, but you have to pay first. Can I get photos? No, uh, uh, we're trying to find out if it's unpolished. No, no, we think it's unpolished and original. Yeah. Oh, but can I get photos? No, we, you have to pay first and we'll get you the watch. And it's just, it's just such nonsense. It's really, it's, it's a trend n- that hopefully <laughs> will die. As I like to say, <laughs> yeah. which trend do you
1: hope to see die in 2024, Gabe? Well, just to touch on what you said, I actually
3: had, uh, since you guys are talking about subs, I forgot. I had a vintage um, tutor that I wanted, that I wasn't wearing and I gave it to a dealer to see, you know, basically for a week or whatever here take it see what you think and when i got the watch back he was like oh this is what i think i asked around and i was like no i'll just keep it when i got the watch back it had been polished and i and i just remember thinking we didn't pay for it we didn't even agree to a price for you to like ask around or list it at and i just remember getting it back and thinking oh holy moly like how do i how do i navigate this and that was one of uh it was a big learning curve
1: Um, yeah one of the things also speaking on this same exact topic is you send a watch to a dealer like there just last week we had this same experience with a guy who had who's original owner of a 1675 uh, from 1966. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam veteran, you know, very cool, like salt of the earth type of individual. He had the original box, the original papers, the chronometer papers. He had uh, the little insert of the GMT's depth rating in, in a transparent plastic seal that was um, accompanying the box, which I've never seen in person. He bought it new in
2: Hong Kong on r
1: Yep. And, um, you know, Another horror dealer story where he brought it in to get serviced at some point um, in the last you know ten years or so, and he got the dial swapped without his consent or or, or knowledge. It was obviously a guilt dial of the era, a, a dial that would be really very difficult to source, um, upwards of five plus thousand dollars probably right, if you sure. were to be able to find one. And um, we're explaining to the guy that, you know, the dial inside his watch is not only not correct for the era, but it's incorrect in the sense that it's a fake guilt. It's a fake guilt dial from Vietnam, from Vietnam. Ironically. Yeah. And it's just another one of those situations where you see, you know, people bring their watch into a watchmaker and the watchmaker says, oh, I can swap out this dial or I can swap out this bezel insert and trade it on the side to somebody who's a dealer and it just is just horrendous behavior because the watch, his watch could have been worth, you know, it was polished. He kept the original bezel insert. Also, he got it swapped out from the person who did it, but miraculously the bezel insert was was there. Yeah. But you know, it was a watch that could have been $30,000 with the box papers, accoutrements. It's like, and then the watch itself, you know, maybe it would be $10,000 if it was raw and, you know, you have to find a dial as well. It's like, you see this behavior from people where they're just out to like, they're always out to get them their own, you know, their own bank accounts rich. And it's just this, just, again, it's that fly by night dealers. Like the guy who doesn't know who the person was, he was just trying to save a few bucks and he ended up getting ripped off in the process. And all he wanted to do was sell the, or get the watch to be in a respectable condition to give to his granddaughter who uh, teaches, People with developmental and, and intellectual differences, like it's just—it's really sad to see. So, from my perspective, it's like I really do hope to see that trend of just mischievous and, and uh, charlatans and and creeps get out of the
2: out of the hobby. There was yeah another important Rolex that was at auction a few years back, and I had heard the dial was taken from another watch uh, that during a service the watchmaker contacted another dealer and said wow i think this is a rare watch this you know old sucker just brought in can i sell you the dial maybe we can put in a fake dial etc uh the this other dealer bought the dial for ten thousand dollars and assisted with the replacement of a fake dial and then the owner got the watch back none the wiser uh not you know having keen eyes to tell what was going on. And uh, yeah, then the watch ended up going for a ton of money at auction. So they found another example of the watch with with a reprinted dial, swapped the dial, then put it at auction, and it went for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh so you
1: and know the person the person who got that dial originally stolen from them he could have been the benefactor of this auction yeah or, in or, the first place or but, his
2: kids or whatever yeah it's really yeah, sad but mean, it, yeah in <laughs> my case
3: i was just i was just so shocked that, that somebody wouldn't even ask say hey uh, you know <laughs> here's the price i'm gonna you know i'd like to polish it so it sells better you know here let me pay you at least for it or list it or something. And I just remember thinking, you know, that, that was, I was just, I was just so stunned that somebody would Oof. just take my, my thing and, and basically <laughs> file up and not ask permission for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, sure. but you know, as far as trends in 2024, um, it, I, I'd like the consolidation of retailers to really stop. And the acquisition of retailers, I think we we it feels like we're at peak retailer ad right now, and given where where the market is trending, I don't think it's beneficial to us to have more big box ads, multi brand ads, and the consolidation of you know uh, larger ads into one a bigger ad. I think it's actually better if we. Let some of them go off and die a slow, painful death in the in the woods alone, but uh i you know I would like to see generally the overheads come down on this stuff so that way maybe we can we can actually get back to price points that are that are more in line with the market um as demand comes down a bit. um I always remember when. AP lowered their prices about 10 years ago on the precious metals because the price of the precious metal had come down, so they adjusted down their prices. And I think it's pretty important to, you know, it, it would be cool to see as demand comes down to see the retail prices come down a bit as well. I know it'll never happen, but I that's, that's the trends that I would like to see go away in 2024.
2: Yeah. Also, it's interesting. I I understand that by June, there's only going to be 34 Patek Philippe retailers left in the United States. Uh, they're, you know, it's been wave after wave the last two years of cuts and they're f- kind of down to their final <laughs> 34. It's I think that's less than Patek Philippe had far less in the 19th century you know in the late 1800s you know there were all kinds of different retailers and you know multiples in big cities and across the midwest and everywhere else and now it's like there's you know literally 16 states at least that won't many more than that in fact who won't even have a patek retailer in the united states because a bunch of these retailers are in you know multiple in florida for instance etc but it's uh it's kinda nuts i don't I think it's the retailers are somewhat of embassies or consulates, if you will, for the retailer. It's where you can bring a watch to get serviced, and um you know it's not just supposed to be about the uh, selling you a watch, it's supposed to also be about service <laughs> and uh you know it's tough when <laughs> they're only gonna be in a few major cities essentially. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, they can always do the yeah. AP thing where they have the big
3: service center in Clearwater, and even though they have a couple of you know AD you know stores across the U.S., they can they all go there for service, and e- the complicated watches all go to the headquarters in in Switzerland. So they don't even service the complicated watches. I I get I get the idea of 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 the protect stores being that, but I don't think we need honestly more than five honestly i don't think we need more than that i mean
2: we're such a new yorker new <laughs> york
3: i'm worse than a new yorker i'm an upper east sider so like even half of manhattan doesn't even exist in my mind you know who
2: yeah, cares about Indianapolis, where Tony's from? They can fly to New York if they have to.
3: <laughs> no, but I think about it in the in the way that you know, you know, even though Chicago has a Tiffany store, they don't they don't have yeah. you know they don't they never had Patek there. So, you know, I I just I think as as demand goes down, but also you know I think it's we'll see
0: we'll see that's. Oh man, we just got running water here a few weeks ago. Great, it's sanitation. Um, yeah, it's really yeah, it's been a real revelation for us here. You know, it's the same thing is happening for Rolex and Tudor, right? Literally, I texted the the Tudor person I know here, uh, just about getting a, a bracelet. I got to get T fit on that Black Bay Fifty Eight. You know, um, that's so yeah. gonna
1: get a oh, that's yeah, yeah, Charlie did. I did it. It'll change your life, to be honest. <laughs> so I texted my
0: tutor retailer, and this is how I found out that another tutor slash Rolex store just closed here in 2024, I assume. Um, you know, we lost a paddock door uh a, a few years ago here. We're down to like we're down to one paddock and maybe three Rolex dealers uh here in Chicago. And I, you know, it's it's crazy what these brands are doing to try to basically appease slash keep rolex because of all that's going on um two of the big shops here have opened huge new emporiums actually all three all three of the big sort of retailers here that have paddock rolex um or some combination thereof have opened huge new stores in the past few years Um, i was literally touring one of the ones that's opening out in the west side uh in the next few months here just just before we hopped on and half of it's rolex because of what they're doing with Rolex CPO. They're opening a, a Rolex service center across the street to appease Rolex CPO. Um basically the entire second floor of the space is Rolex CPO. So like, you know, that's what these brands or these these ADs have to do to like stay alive nowadays. So um if you can't keep up with that, you know, Rolex is going to continue to consolidate around the the Booker name I'm I'm assuming um over the next 10, 20 years, however long. So I'm sure you'll get your wish over the long run, Gabe. And I know Charlie and Eric are dying laughing about something so i hope you guys have
1: yeah it's interesting speaking of it's interesting speaking of that one we have a um client who has millions of dollars in patek philippe and rolex he's a very passionate collector he's got a whole bunch of stuff from vintage to modern uh serious he's
2: bought millions of dollars yeah in modern patek philippe yeah patek directly from
1: he's <laughs> a very serious watch collector and probably should be you know treated as such um, in a lot of senses he knows all the references he knows the complications he's passionate about this stuff but um, interestingly he has had experiences where he's walked into the
2: can i say so yeah he bought from two retailers over the years both closed this past kind of year or two going back 20 Uh, years 30 years maybe yeah yeah buying since the 90s And he went into the Booker here in uh, Palm Beach to humbly with his hat in hand and said, by the way, I know Lisa, the president of Patek North America, Lisa Jones. And I bought, you know, two million plus three million plus new. Uh, I've got all these, you know, very complicated watches, you know, and I would love to
1: basically introduce myself and start a relationship with you to which he was. Aggressively (laughs) struck down and verbally chastised, saying that
2: there's nothing we can do for you. She said, Okay, we'll have to, you have to start from the bottom, the salesperson said for Patek here. And you've got to start with like basic Calatravas and stuff and restart from the beginning. And he said, okay, so what can I buy? And she said, nothing, nothing. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? She said, we can't sell you anything. He said, can't like not even, you know, Calatravas, anything. No, we have long waiting lists for everything. So he said, but what, like how, this is the conundrum. How do I start the relationship? Buy stuff, but there's nothing to buy. And she said, Yeah, we can't really help you. Sorry. It's one of the
1: most <laughs> abhorrent things. And the guy wasn't the guy wasn't <laughs> embellishing the story for dramatic effect. I mean, it's just literally this is the experience you get, which Makes me feel a little bit optimistic about my future in the game because when somebody comes to me and says they want to spend money with me, I'm certainly like, all right, great, let's do this. And let's here's the wire details. What's your shipping address? Let's get this done. And instead, it's the complete opposite in the retailers where they are just literally, you know, they're verbally decapitating the people who are trying to offer them money and and taking their dignity at the same time. So it's great. It's funny.
0: The other thing is like, brands that are, aren't opening boutiques there
1: are a lot of brands that are
0: focused on the boutique thing is uh, the ad's that are staying open is their jewelry stores right like the store that i went to or a lot of the stores that have stayed open here in chicago jewelry is the way you get into it and no matter how big of a Tudor, rolex paddock even paddock collector you are like it almost doesn't register for them because the jewelry collectors or the jewelry buyers are what they care about and that's where they make their margin and all that type of stuff and those are the ones that are are keeping the accounts for now at least
2: which I find kind of funny because, you know, there's a lot of horse trading where it was like, if you spend half a million on a diamond at a retailer local here, we can get you a Nautilus, but don't even think about asking for one unless you bought a half million dollar diamond. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised because Patek doesn't benefit at all from that, you know staying with the jewelry retailer that patek, like patek wouldn't benefit from having
1: that sort of attitude about their grand complications instead of their diamonds yeah, i mean like that's buy, where yeah
2: buy a minute repeater and will yeah. get you a nautilus but they don't really they don't they like even that. utilize that they and then <laughs> it's just hilarious behavior ridiculous
1: it's archaic approach as i
0: like to say well now that we've just totally lambasted the entire retail space uh it, what do you, what do we want to talk about? Anything else, guys? I mean, wow, what, what a lively
2: conversation! This gets people fired up, clearly. Yeah, so hotline, but yeah, we're starting say- <laughs> starting twenty twenty four out off with a bang. Uh, I was you know bummed to miss the original Miami Beach Antique Show, but I think it was kind of a wake up call. So for the original Miami Beach Antique Show for 2025 we have made this decision we are not going to exhibit the show just isn't what it used to be it doesn't really make sense for us to exhibit there anymore uh and last please leave reviews we don't i we we basically Charlie and I all the time hear from people i love the podcast i love the podcast our first reaction is have you left a review and i would say 80 percent of the time or more they say no uh and it makes us livid and furious and so. then we chastise them behavior, yeah. <laughs> like, we you know if you want us to put it behind a patreon our viewers we'll do it so yeah. at least we get money we'll do it <laughs> only fans. you'll get only money fans. at least we have some only fan this is it's, yeah, only fans for watch podcast, but we're people. there's very few reviews being left. It's extremely irritating. Yeah,
1: in all honesty, the amount of people that talk to me about the podcast, it's shameful. The amount of reviews that we've gotten. you guys are the highest net worth and the most successful individuals. You haven't taken the time to <laughs> leave a written review on my podcast, despite yeah. me pleading every
2: single episode. But if you want to pay us instead, yeah. we can go that route. We can do it if we'll you guys to want to. Maybe $100 a month. Yep. Then you can then you can really regret not leaving a podcast review, yeah oh, you'll love know, it. criminal
0: behavior making people pay
1: a hundred dollars for this would actually be a uh, a crime i um, <laughs> I feel like we give a hundred dollars worth of entertainment an episode. I would pay That's it myself I love yeah, it. Yeah. I love <laughs> myself, <laughs> I would pay it. <laughs>
0: If someone's paying me a hundred dollars a month, they can have whatever they want so that's that's that literally
1: mind. that's literally twenty five dollars per hour consultation fee for Eric <laughs> Wind, Charlie Dunn, Tony Trena, and Gabe. These are the most the important ben. individuals the in the ones. watch space that you're contributing towards, and on that note, uh we look forward to thirty written reviews this week.